the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the San Antonio area, You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, because it's Tuesday, we don't have anything to really talk about, anything going on, so we'll get right to some questions. Our first one is from, let me get it here, I'll pull it up. It's from Michael from our email inbox. Uh, he says, Hi, Pesteron, can you explain what a carnal Christian is? Are these kind of practicing Christians saved? I have a professing Christian family member who says he's saved but lives in habitual sin. He says he's a carnal Christian. <laughs> he almost, almost made it sound like he's proud of that. Uh, Michael's, uh, Michael wrote, I looked up the word carnal Christian, and it says save people that live by the flesh. Wouldn't that be a professing Christian who lives by their flesh? Personally, I think carnal gives a professing Christian uh, the right to sin without having them change their way of sinning. Maybe I'm wrong. Please share your thoughts. Uh, Michael, this is a, 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 a real hot-button issue for me. Um, uh, let me let me start out by saying at the beginning, uh, there are carnal Christians, people that are really saved, and they're living carnal lives. Uh, in many cases, you can't tell them from an unbeliever. However, they're counting on God's grace to do something at God's grace never intended to do. Writing to the church at Rome, Paul says, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. And we like to cheer that, you know. And and, and he, he explains then uh, if somebody says, well, if my sin then gives God an opportunity to show more grace, then what shall we say? Shall we keep on sinning? And I love the King James because the King James says, God forbid. And the NIV says, by no means, with a, an exclamation point. So, Michael, um, those who claim to be carnal Christians, according to the Apostle Paul, writing to the book of Rome, uh, to the to the church at Rome, says that that they're trampling on the grace of God, rendering it literally of no effect. So, are carnal Christians saved? Um, that's between them and the Lord. Uh, I know that if they're really saved, if they're 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 really born again believers. Then God is going to um, to discipline them. He's going to chastise them. Uh, God loves uh, His family, 
And judgment begins at the house of God, and, and there's going to be a price to pay for that kind of carnality. On the other hand, and this is what I want to be really, really clear. On the other hand, um, I'm just going to read Scripture. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, Michael, listen to this last sentence. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. First Corinthians chapter chapter six says essentially the same thing with with a very similar list of sins. So the idea is somebody says, well, I'm a carnal Christian. Um, my question would be, what makes you think you're a Christian? What evidence is there that you really belong to Jesus Christ? You certainly can't find any in your behavior. And God knows the heart of a man or a woman who's saying, well, you know, I'm a carnal Christian, so God's going to cover my sins. Um, that's just that's a, a, a hill you don't want to die on. I promise you that. You know, Michael, the whole book of Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, is written to a very carnal church. And that's why the entire letter in 1 Corinthians is Paul scolding them. He's very harsh and very direct. They're, they're, they're tolerating sin. Their, their, their services together are out of control. All of those things... And and they're not doing anything to change it. And, and Paul takes them to task in the same way we ought to hold every carnal Christian available. My final thought on this, Michael, is, uh, is I, I think, important. Um, you know, we don't know what to do with carnal Christian. You said uh, that uh, uh, you have a professing Christian family member. Um, your responsibility is that family member is to warn him once, warn him twice, and then if he doesn't pay you, uh, doesn't listen, doesn't make any changes in his life, your responsibility is to have nothing more to do with him. I mean, obviously you're going to pray for him, but but you have nothing more to do with him. You can't hang around people like that. The, 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 the man or the woman who's sinning and they're not a Christian, well, those are the people that are the object of our ministry. We hang around with them because we're going to tell them the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But But our Bible is very direct when it comes to uh, people who profess faith in Christ and don't live like it, at some point, pretty quickly in the process, we get to the point where we say, look, I've told you, I love you, I want you in heaven, you haven't changed anything, so I can no longer have anything to do with you. Now, that's going to cost you friends, people are going to point their fingers and call you uh, judgmental and, and all kinds of other things, um, but See, that's where we have to make a choice, Michael. Are we going to obey what the Bible says, or are we going to worry about what people think about us? Really a sad question. I'm really, really, really sad that we have to get those questions. Here's a question from Donald. Donald. He says, when I pray, should I ask God to change me? Um, Donald, God's already changed you if, in fact, you're born again. Um, I think sometimes we get a really passive attitude towards change. You know, we'll say, okay, God, I don't want to do this anymore, but you're going to have to change me. Well, he's already done that on the cross uh, by sending his spirit. He's already done that. But then he wants our participation. So I think sometimes people just wait until God won't let them sin anymore. That's not going to happen. God still gives us free will. So in your particular case, Donald, when... Uh, you're praying. Uh, just ask God to make me more like you. That's the only change you need to be. And then thank him that he's given you the Holy Spirit, which enables you to be able to do that. So this is where faith comes in. Once I had all of these temptations to sin, and I never said no, but Jesus, by the Spirit of God that you've given to me, I now can say no. Paul writes that sin shall no longer be your master. The King James says, will no longer have dominion over you. Donald, thank you for the question. Let's go to Ron in Converse on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor. I almost said Pastor Paul again. Pastor Ron, <laughs> it almost came out. I've never, I told you, never have I wanted to call any pastor. And I've talked to multiple pastors in my life. But 
I don't know why you're synonymous hey. with Paul. I, I think that's a good thing, though. Yeah, Ron, I'll, I'll answer it almost <laughs> anything. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, I have a question about. I, I think it has some um, roots in the Catholic religion. Maybe not. I don't know. I've just never heard this question before. As long as I've been listening, and uh, you know that I was, I've been reborn. I belong to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ alone, and Jesus Christ alone saved me. He was there for me on the cross, knowing everything mm. I had done, and would have done, and going to do. Took it upon himself, and we we know his, his beautiful story of, of salvation. Now, I gave up the Catholic Church along with my daughter, and I noticed that um, in the... We're attending a Baptist church right now, mm-hmm. and I notice that the congregants, I don't see a lot of the specific practice of the sign of the cross. You see that clearly, obviously, in the Catholic religion. And I just wanted to hear from you about this practice of, of signing with the cross. And uh, I remember years ago when I was in the second grade at St. Mark's parochial school, um, Catholic nun told me to slow down because she said it looked like I was chasing after a fly. <laughs> and yeah, she said, so more, more, more deliberate, please. Yeah. And then I've and I've heard <laughs> don't make the. It was funny, right? And it's those those sisters that wore those long, long, yeah. black flowing gowns and the headdresses, and just their face was kind of peeking around out of, out of that that white uh, frame. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that was um, that was. Uh, I remember in the first grade, I never had my earlobes. That was a punishment. Yeah, and we would have our earlobes pulled. There was no rulers. Yeah. it was earlobe pulling, and that was horrible. That was terrible. And um, I'm surprised that they, they're not, you know, any longer than what they are now because of what I went through. But that's that was then. But I wanted to hear from you about this practice of um, signing because I've even heard people say, "Well, don't sign." The cross was too shallow in the chest, otherwise it, it's like an upside-down cross. Go deep <laughs> into the chest, into the sternum, from the forehead to the sternum. and then oh. the Ron, so I, 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 I had to hear from you, Pastor yeah. Paul. Um, yeah. I mean, no, Pastor Ron. That's okay. Let me run with that, because that's, that's funny. You know, Ron, when I was a kid, I, I, I was a baseball player. I played baseball from the time I was I could walk until I, I played all the way through college. And when I was in Little League... Um, my favorite baseball player, one of my favorite baseball players at the time, I uh, watched him on a TV game, and he went up to the crawl or up to the plate, and he crossed himself. And then he hit a home run. <laughs> so I said to myself, I said, "Hey, if that works, I'm going to cross myself every time I went up." And so I went up the next time, and I crossed myself. My dad, who was the coach of our team, he called timeout. He said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Dad, I'm crossing myself so I can hit a home run." And so I went back up and hit. I didn't hit a home run. And and he came and he said, well, that didn't work, so try something else. But it's just, it's nothing but religious superstition. There is nothing of value at all in doing those things. That is tradition. It's a tradition that isn't given to us uh, in church history. It, it certainly isn't something that was done um, in, in the first century church. Uh, it's almost like a lucky rabbit's foot. And, of course, as Christians, we're supposed to sort of eschew that kind of stuff, you know. Um, um, it, it, it's, it's the most egregious kind of spiritual immaturity. And we do it um, just because, well, that's what we were taught. And it's not just the Catholic Church that does it. Uh, some Orthodox churches do it. Uh, some of the older religious traditions um, but it, that's all it is. It's a tradition. And any tradition that is in contradistinction to the Word of God or any tradition that isn't given to us in the Word of God has is no value at all. So the idea that, that Catholics cross themselves, um, it, it's sort of like an insurance policy to them. and That's how they view it. And it's their religious responsibility. And, of course, we know Religion doesn't get anybody into heaven. Ron, it's the reason that I hate religion so much.
I hate it with all of my heart. So that's that's the, the best answer. It just has no value at all. We don't have to do it. And for her to tell you to slow it down, that was funny. That was good. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate the call. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Toll free, 877-630-KSLR. Christopher says, what would happen if I die and have forgotten about some sins and didn't get to ask for forgiveness? Christopher, that's the beautiful thing about the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ. When he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, um, all of our sins, past, present, and future sins, um, are forgiven. So if if uh, you have some sin that you haven't said, oh God, please forgive me for this sin, it's okay. All of your sins are wiped out. The idea of confessing our sins, this isn't like a, a Catholic confessional. The idea of confessing our sins has nothing to do with salvation for Christians, but has everything to do with relationship or fellowship with the Lord. So uh, here's what we want to do. We want to keep short accounts with the Lord. That means we confess our sins. And the word confession in 1 John 1, 9 means to agree with God about what sin is. I'll give you an example. If you were um, uh, talking to somebody in your mouth, was you were cursing, you were using bad language, um, God can't be involved in that conversation. So in order to reestablish access to God, you've got to first recognize the sin. Lord, my mouth is filthy. I apologize. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me and help me not to embarrass you like that again. If you do that, fellowship is instantly restored. But if you don't do that, um, and ostensibly then you're going to keep on cursing, um, then you're just excluding God from your life. There's no fellowship, no relationship. It does not mean that you've lost your salvation or you're not going to heaven. It just means that for all practical purposes, God's presence with you, Jesus, um, um, the, the Holy Spirit in you, has no practical value because you're quenching the work of the Spirit. So it's not like we got to take an inventory. We're humans. We have limited brain power. God knows all of that. And all of our sins are already forgiven. What we want as Christians is to maintain fellowship with God. And the only way to do that is to confess our sins, ask God to forgive us, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And that access is opened all over again. You know, Christopher, when I tell our church here to keep short accounts with God, um, when you do something wrong, um, what you want to do is ask the Holy Spirit to give you a sensitivity to that sin. I've shared this on the program before, but before I got saved, I had just a filthy, filthy mouth. A filthy mouth. And um, um, in, in a little more now than 31 years of being saved, 31 and a half years, um, I've only cussed one time, just one time. It shocked me. It was at Bible college. I don't need to tell the story again. But but it just came out, and I couldn't believe that that word came out of my mouth. And I was so embarrassed and so humiliated. I was actually talking to a young man who now is a Calvary Chapel pastor in Florida. And, uh, and, and the look on his face, I was so embarrassed. And I just sort of fell out, Lord, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Don't let that ever come out and embarrass you like that again. And realizing that, that the, the, the word that came out of my mouth started in my heart, I said, Lord, take that from my heart. I don't want a heart like that. But, but in the meantime, while that work is being done, let me be aware of it before I say anything or if I even have the thought of cursing again. And, and God has been very, very faithful for that. Christopher and I, just as an example, um, I use cursing. You know, uh, the way many Christians speak, the way we, the language we use, the, the, the curse words. I mean, in the world, you kind of expect it, but, you know, the worst cuss words are now ordinary words. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're adjectives now. And, um, it's it's just um, an embarrassment when when Isaiah um, 
had his vision, Lord, he said, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Um, you and I, we live among a people, even church people, of unclean lips. And there's never a reason, Christopher, that we should curse. There's never a reason that we should speak ill or with volume or with the intent to harm another person. We have control over those things. And if we don't, then our relationship, our fellowship with God is cut off. It doesn't change the fact that we're Christians, but it's cut off. So I hope that answers your question, Christopher. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Here's an anonymous question. What does it mean to feel the presence of God? What does it feel like? Um, Anonymous, this is an impossible question to describe. Um, I don't mean to sound spiritual here, okay? But, But the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about feeling the presence of God is it's ordinary. I, I want to be with Jesus so much. I want to be so close to him that that's the, the normal experience so that in those times when something happens where my fellowship is cut off or if I stop to think about God for a little while, I want that to feel weird. So feeling the presence of God, um, um, I think we get a lot of of bad information. People say, you know, I get goosebumps. I still get people that come up and show me their arms. And, and I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Um, um, I, I just think the presence of God is like the presence of any other friend. Somebody that takes care of you, somebody that loves you. You just feel safe. You feel secure. And you know that if something goes wrong, then there's a, a friend who's closer than a brother. Um, who's going to be there, and he's he's got you covered. And he's he's going to take care of you during that time. I I just think that's the security of knowing that you're with the Lord. And I think sometimes anonymous that takes real faith. And the reason I say it takes faith is because it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have goosebumps. It doesn't mean they're going to feel anything. We have gotten so um, over the top emotionally in the world that we live in that um, I think we're expecting um, goosebumps and visions and all of those things. And occasionally, when you're walking with the Lord, uh, it's going to be very emotional. Uh, occasionally, um, you're going to have goosebumps, and there's going to be uh, times when the Lord speaks to you so clearly that it just sort of uh, sets off every alarm in your spirit. But but those are are not normal times. So I think the presence of God to feel it, to experience the presence of the Lord requires faith. And and that way when you have those times when you don't feel his presence or when you don't feel that he's particularly close or your prayers aren't being answered, uh, you can look to the heavens and you can say, but I know you're there, Lord. I know you're there. This morning, um, Paul and I went out to exercise and um, it was very dark very dark when we went out this morning. And, you know, that's not good for me usually because I, I can't see anyway. But I've got a, a a place in the street where I do my sprints and those kind of things. Um, but the first thing I do is I face the eastern sky and there wasn't even a whiff of a sunrise yet. And I, I could say, well, Lord, uh, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And I can say, I know you're there, even though I can't see you. And and I'm looking at the sun. That's that's a symbol for me. The sun isn't Jesus, but it's a symbol of, of God's presence and his faithfulness. But I say, I know, I know you're there. I don't have to see you to know that you're there. Well, the same thing describes what it means to feel the presence of God. Anonymous, don't put too much... Um, um, import on people's stories, on what they say, um, they, they experience um, most of the time. Um, it's just goosebumps. Jesus is here. He's with us every day. He's with us in the good times. He's with us in the bad times. And he's with us in all the times in between. I, I started in the book of Philippians on Friday night, this past Friday night. And, and and Paul, you want goosebumps? 
Paul said uh, to the Philippians, I always pray with joy whenever I pray for you. I, I, when I remember you, I always pray with joy. And then he said, it's right for me to feel this way because I have you in my heart. If you want to feel the presence of God, be praying for other people. If you want to feel the presence of God, um, ask God's blessing on those that you know who are hurting. And then you'll feel the presence of God. He's never closer to you than when you're praying for people that aren't his. He wants him in heaven, so do you. Uh, when people are hurting in our church, we've got some people now going through some really difficult physical issues. And I just feel like God is so pleased when I make that a priority in my prayers. And so I think that's the way to do it. Think about other people, consider their needs before your own, and I promise you, Anonymous, you will experience the presence of God. It might feel different for you than it does for somebody else, but that doesn't matter. Hey, we've only got 30 minutes left in the show today. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Before I go to the next question, uh, I want to read another passage of Scripture for Michael. Michael's question about uh, a family member who's a professing Christian. He says, no, I'm a carnal Christian. Like, that's okay. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkardness, nor slanders, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's pretty clear. But the next verse, and this is what you can tell your family member, Michael. Paul writes this, and that is what some of you were. That's what some of you were. You used to be those things, but as a Christian, you no longer can be. He continues, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And then you can ask him, well, were you not washed? Were you not sanctified? It simply means separated for God. You were justified just as if you'd never sinned. Did that not happen to you? If not, you're not really born again. And remember, it's our responsibility to communicate that to people. We do it in love and we don't do it angrily. But we do that because we want them to understand the price to pay for the life choices they're making Um could be an eternity in torment separated from God. Really important. Let's go to our next question. This one is from Terry. He says, How does Paula partner in your ministry? You speak often about her partnership. Terry, um, maybe Paula will want to add something to this when she comes in this week on Thursday. Um, but I can't, I can't tell you, there's no area that she doesn't partner in. Um, you know, we, 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 we have a routine typically in the mornings. Um, she reads to me. I mean, you talk about being a partner. She reads to me. Um, my vision is, is gone and, um, um, Paula reads to me. She didn't have to do that. She could be busy doing her own stuff. But but she understands her role as my partner, and she wants to help me do what I've been called by God to do. Um, Paula drives me. I mean, I, I can't drive. I haven't driven for 26 years. And she drives me around. Um, 
all the other stuff that she does to care of Paula. She, la- she describes us. She goes, I have one job. Take care of Pastor Ron. But then she says, but it jo- it's a job with many tentacles. And so she does everything. But let me tell you how she partners with me here at the church. Our church, Terry, is, um, I think, the most loving church I've ever been in. Um, the people are over the top in love here. And, and, and it doesn't take a, a, a visitor um, more than just a few minutes in here to understand that there's something different about this. Um, I, I believe with all of my heart that's because of Paula in, in large part. Uh, Paula is like a ball in the pinball machine. She's going from person to person. She's she's introducing herself to people that that she doesn't know or people that she hasn't met. And we have so many new people who are coming every week, and um, you know, just just that's who she is. Uh, she wants to write down their name. She wants to remember who they are. Um, um, she's she's. It doesn't matter if you've been here once or been here a thousand times. Um, it doesn't matter if you're um, somebody in our age bracket or somebody who's very, very young. It doesn't matter what your background is. Paula is going to be sure that you're welcome to the church. Now, imagine for me as a pastor, how could I have a better partner than that? Because she's a living, walking advertisement for what I'm teaching. Um, our, our 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 ladies groups, um, uh, just just wonderful love and wonderful unity, and in large part I think because of Paula. Um, Paula partners with me in um, um, her own time with the Lord. Um, she spends a lot of time in the Word. Um, she's she's uh, interested in living what she teaches others. And so as a partner, I just couldn't ask for anybody better. And, and I say this, and one time I said it to her the wrong way, Terry. Um, but I said um, to her, and I'll explain it better this time. But what I said to her was, Paula, in all these years, I've never even had to consider you. And and at first that sounded kind of rough, but I explained what that means. I've never had to stop and think about Paula. Well, well, would Paula be okay with this? Or if this is what the Lord is leading, should I run it by Paula and make sure it's okay with her? I've never had to do that. Because I know that all she wants is what Jesus wants for her. And, you know, Terry, only one human being in my entire life has always and only wanted the best for me, and that's Paula. And she has been an asset in this ministry in ways that I couldn't imagine. Suffice to say that I could not do what I'm called by God to do without her. I like to think that she couldn't do what she's called to do without me. We're very, very different people. Um, And yet, God knew just how much different I needed. So she partners in that way. If, if, if If somebody needs counseling, I can I can say, Paula, would you call this person um, a woman? So I just, the, the partnership, Terry, is, is um, a given for me, but it's not taken for granted. Uh, believe me, it is a gift from God. So I hope that helps, and maybe Paula will have something to add uh, on Thursday to that as well. Here's a question from Diana. How would you explain to a Muslim that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Diana, this is a great question. I'm going to expand it, not just to Muslims, but to but to every other religion. You know, we have the world that says, well, you know, everybody has their own truth and all roads lead to the same place. Um, and and um, that's simply not true. And especially uh, to a Muslim who is monotheistic, um, you'd want to uh, want them to understand that this is why we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. It's because he died, he didn't stay dead, that proved that he alone could forgive sins, only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is the only living person who's ever walked this earth 
who had the authority to claim that I forgive, come to forgive you of your sins and, and experience heaven with you um, and, and because of the empty tomb. So that's how I would explain it. When a Muslim, we've had many opportunities on this program, um, but 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 just in our normal day to day stuff, uh, it's it's okay to tell people that they're wrong. When a Muslim says, um, "Well, I believe this," I can say you're wrong, and they can say, "Well, well," they get upset sometimes. But well, how can you say I'm wrong and you're right? It's simple. My Bible declares that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and it's backed up, it's validated by an empty tomb. And I can ask a Muslim, well, where is Muhammad? They, he didn't die. I mean, he died, but he, he's, they don't claim he died and rose from the dead. In fact, they, they, they claim that Jesus didn't really die. That the resurrection was sort of a hoax. Because they understand that somebody really had risen from the dead, that would mean that that person was of God. So, Diana, that's how I would do it. But but it's it's an idea about truth. I wouldn't get into arguments with them. I would simply explain to them, here's why we know that what we believe is true and why I know that what you believe is not true. And because it's not true, you ought to be interested in that truth. And and so that's the way I would do it. And the same thing is true of every other religion. One final thought on not just Muslims necessarily, but people who um, uh, are polytheistic, Hindus and, and, and others. Um, you know, it's no problem getting um, um, uh, somebody who's a Hindu uh, to, to accept Jesus Christ. They just add them to their pantheon of gods. But there's... Um, we, what you got to tell us? No, there's only one God, and the worship of any other God is an abomination to to the real God. So, before deciding for Jesus, you got to realize that every other God, little G God, has to be put away. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Ray from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Hope Ray. You're doing well today. I am. Thank you. It's good to hear from you. Good. Good. Um, I I don't know why I'm asking this other than I just don't know the answer. <laughs> that uh, you you uh, say you have the uh, gift of tongues and mm-hmm. other people have the gift of interpretation, but do you know anyone that has both of those? Oh yeah. And and would that be a conflict of interest or you know if they're speaking in tongues and then go straight away to their own interpretation i don't understand so. yeah that that's a great question ray because the the understanding of this is really important um, um paul says that when we pray in tongues we should also pray that we can interpret what we prayed for the gift of interpretation a separate gift that we should also pray so this is something that everyone should desire, um, but but uh, I just have not been given the gift of interpretation, and I know um, quite a few people who have both the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation. Now, one of the things that's interesting is that even some people who have the gift of interpretation um, are are unable to interpret their own tongues. Um, um, I know several people say, well, well, most of the time I don't know what I'm praying, but, but there were times when God will let them know. Most of the time, the gift of interpretation is especially useful for um, tongues that are spoken in a corporate setting. You know, the Apostle Paul says two or three at the most speaking in tongues at, at a corporate get-together and, and always and only with the interpretation. So if, for instance, at a an afterglow that we have here at the church, if somebody has a word in tongues and then there's no, I'll stop them right there once they'll, they'll deliver their word. I'll tell everybody, let's just wait for a couple of minutes um, and see if God gives the interpretation to somebody. If there's no interpretation, then we don't entertain any more words in tongues. That's God's way of saying that's not how he's going to meet with us on this particular occasion. 
But uh, yes, I do know people who have both the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation. I have prayed for the gift of interpretation on many occasions and never have received it. So um, that's what it's for. And usually, um, uh, if if it's just you praying in tongues, just you and the Lord together, if you get the, the interpretation, it's, at least in my practice, it's because God wants you to continue to pray for that thing. And, and the fact that he would initiate that prayer in the power of the Spirit sort of indicates his heart toward that particular thing that you're praying for. Again, I'm speaking theoretically there because I do not have the gift of interpretation. I like that question, Ray. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Mary. Pastor Ron, if your pastor doesn't believe in inerrancy, should that cause me to change churches? Mary, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. If you don't believe in in both the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible, um, then you have nothing to to preach. Uh, you can tell stories and you can talk about theory and opinions, but but if we don't have a Bible that is trustworthy, and if there's if it's filled with mistakes or contradictions, then it is not trustworthy. It's that simple. Um, and so, if you don't have a Bible that you can trust, then um, we can all do whatever we want. We can make up our own rules, and that's what happens. And if your pastor um, has moved away from inerrancy, then I can promise you there's been a whole bunch of other doctrinal shifts in what he believes and what he teaches, and uh, and those are also going to be really problematic. So, yeah, Mary, that's 100%. Um, if, if your pastor no longer uh, has a Bible that he can trust, literal interpretation, uh, he can trust it. If if he no longer does that, then you need to get a new church. Good question. Thank you very much. Felix says, do you think pastors should interact with their staff? My pastor seems to stay distant from his staff. Um, Felix, yeah, I don't know any other way. Uh, um, uh, I think, you know, we're, we're family here at our church, and I know you don't come to our church, but um, my pastors are like my kids. Um, I mean, they're they're. Um, they, I, I can't imagine not interacting with them. I would be, uh, I would miss out on so much. So uh, yeah, I really think they should interact with their staff. The idea that um, there's a hierarchy that precludes. Uh, mingling with your staff or even mingling with people in the church who aren't on staff. Um, you know, that's more of a a corporate model, you know, where nobody can, you got to go through a chain of command and you, you can't get to the, to the guy at the top. Um, that, that's not, that, that does not describe the way churches ought to be run. Um, my staff, uh, I love them. I've, I've watched, um, these my two youth pastors, I love them so much uh, because I watch them grow up. I mean, and they've been in this church from the time they were really, really little, and I've seen the the hand of God move on their lives. My other pastors, I mean, we we've got people that have been here for a long, long time, and and they weren't even saved when they got here. Some of them. And so to watch them grow, I mean, how could I not rejoice? Why would I want to cut myself off from that? And this is another way, by the way, Felix, in the other question we had earlier, that Paula partners with me. Um, um, she is deeply engaged with the people here, staff and everybody else. So, yeah, you, you, you need to have a, a, a family environment. That's what it what it does in the first century church um, when it cost them everything to convert from Judaism to Christianity. Believe me, the church was the only family they had and the pastors and um, the in our culture, the, the assistant pastors and the people like that. Um, I, I just, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without them as well. They're partners as well. So I hope that makes sense to you. Martin wants to know, can Jews be saved by observing the law? If not, 
How can they be saved since the law is all they know? Well, Martin, the law, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. That's what the law says. And since there's no sacrifices, the only way they can be saved is by believing in Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that we don't think about this way often, but but it ought to be the way we think. The whole church was Jewish, and they got born again, and they became Christians. They ceased being Jews. Now, they still, especially in the first century church, it took them a while to wean themselves off of of the, the traditions of Judaism, but they got saved. They didn't. They didn't get saved and, and try to reinvent Judaism. They got saved. They got born again. The old is gone. The new has come, and the law had been fulfilled. So um, Jews cannot be saved by observing the law because nobody can keep the law. And Paul, writing to the churches in Galatia, he said that the law was a schoolmaster or a tutor that led us to Jesus Christ because under the law we realize that we're guilty, we're condemned. And that's why Jesus said to come to him. So um, Jesus said that the law and the prophets were all about him. And so every Jew, Martin, needs to make that decision for themselves. If Jesus said the law and the prophets were all about him, then we've got to look at the law and the prophets with a new lens. And the way we do that is, 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 okay, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. And he will do that. So nobody, Jews or otherwise, can be saved, Martin, by observing the law. I have a related question. My producer just pointed out from Kelly. Jews no longer sacrifice, so what do they do for the forgiveness of sins? Um, Kelly, this, this question, you're right, there's no longer sacrifices, no longer shedding of blood. So here's what Jews typically do on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They, um, they've turned it into a day of reflection. Reflect on your sins. Reflect on the goodness of God. Reflect on the faithfulness of God. The problem is that that doesn't wipe away our sins. Without the shedding of blood, his word never changes. There's no remission of sins. For you and for me, Kelly, the remission of sins was a result of Jesus Christ dying. His blood being shed on our behalf. So um, they have no response to the lack of a sacrifice, the shedding of blood. And it's a great opportunity when you ask a Jew that question. It's a great opportunity to say, but Jesus shed his blood. And I find Hebrews chapter 4 in particular is pretty effective when dealing with Jews. Thank you, Kelly, for the question. We're inside four minutes now. Uh, Lester says, public schools are so bad that I'm considering putting my kids in Catholic school. Would that be okay for a Christian? No, Lester, it wouldn't be okay. And I I understand public schools are problematic. Um, I would not, I, I could no longer good conscience advocate for putting a child in public school. But putting a child in Catholic school is at least in my view at least as bad, probably worse. Because what you're teaching them is idolatry. You know, I'm sure the quality of the education is okay, but you're teaching them idolatry. You're you're teaching them heresy, doctrinal um, heresy. And, And so, no, Lester, it's not okay. I realize that public schools... Are, are terrifying parents these days. Um, but there are other responses. Homeschooling. I've never been a super homeschool fan just because I think kids need the, the socialization, the interaction. More to the point, I think most parents are not equipped or gifted to be teachers. I think homeschool is great if the parent is a gifted teacher and it's going to be consistent. We've had some people in our church who are wonderful homeschoolers. They raised great kids who did very, very, very well. But that's, I think, the exception rather than the rule. Um, so find another alternative. 
Uh, there, there are, are homeschool co-ops. If you're not a gifted teacher, um, they've got gifted teachers who can do that. Uh, there are churches like us who have Christian schools. Now, um, we're the only one I know of that's absolutely free. Um, but um, I, I think um, stretch your budget, get an extra job, do something, but but keep your kids out of the brainwashed public school system. But you certainly don't want them to go into a, a religious school that's going to teach them about a, a Jesus who isn't consistent with the Jesus of the Bible. So, Lester, I, I realize how difficult it is. It is a shame and this is just Pastor Ron talking now. It's a shame that churches charge so much money for their education. Um, I think we've ceased to serve our our congregations if, in fact, they can't afford to come to school for those of us that have schools. Uh, Lester, as you probably know, our school has been free from day one. Uh, the Lord says as long as um, we have that school, it is going to be free. And God has been wonderfully faithful to provide for it. And it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money. You know, one other thing, and I'm, I'm going to just keep talking now for a minute because we're inside the last minute. But the other thing that the church is, or the school has done for our, our, our church is it gives people here in the church an opportunity to serve. And boy, have we seen gifted, gifted people. Um... They're making a sacrifice. They're getting paid, but they're not getting paid a lot. Um, so pray. Pray for us. Pray for maybe other pastors will say, my school should be free too. Hey, we're out of time today. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.